Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Suave Talk presented by Dyer's Top Rods. And guys, ladies and gentlemen, 91, best one, C81, doesn't matter, Tyler Urban, 30. Tyler, Turbo, are you back? I'm here. I'm back. First win of 2020. And, man, it feels good to be a gangster. No doubt about it. You had the camouflage uh, C8 machine. And, you know, just describe and discuss that weekend you had with Timothy Colt back in your own backyard. Well, first, the best meme that I saw on Facebook after all of it, it was like they couldn't see him coming, something, something, something by the infield tractor tire. And I, I LOL'd myself just because his car is camo. And, like, like we love camo, but it's just not a real race car looking deal. And it's kind of funny because it's just like, we did an interview with the local news station and like they just thought we were like two dumb rednecks because we didn't have a rig and we had a camouflage car. So it was funny that we won. I won the first night and he won the second night just, uh, you know, representing team CA, but no, it was badass weekend. I got to go as close to home as I'll probably get to go this year and race about three hours from where I grew up. Uh, literally he borrowed a trailer and, uh, it was my mom and dad were my crew guys. And we didn't have a pit lift. Like, we had three tools. Like, I had an impact, you know, to take the wheels off, to take tires off, the wheel covers. And then I had an air gauge and then two three-quarter wrenches. So, like, that's what I raced with all weekend. And it was just a lot of fun. Kind of reminded me of basically when I first started racing. Your stocky days? Your stocky days in the street stock? Yeah, stocky days in the street stock. Me and my mom raced the street stock for one year by ourselves. She would drive me to the racetrack because I was 14. And then I would work on it. She would wipe it down, plug the battery in, put fuel in. So, like, shout out to Sandra Joe. She's a, she was my first real crew guy, crew woman, I guess. Is she and, a better marathon runner or a crew woman? Definitely a better marathon runner. Now she's, uh, she doesn't like to get quite as dirty. She is by far the best car washer in the pit. You can <laughs> ask anybody. She wiped down two cars all weekend, and uh, she has had that title for at least the last 20 or 25 years, ever since I was born, for sure. You win Friday. Last lap pass on Jesse Stovall. Your racing brother, Timothy Culp, did the exact same thing. I'm pretty sure Jesse Stovall raced or led 78 of the 80 laps there. Heartbreak hotel for him. But just describe that last lap pass because it was, you know, it's going to definitely go down in his finishes of the year. Um, I mean, really, I was, uh, I was just really comfortable. There was a huge cushion in one and two. Like, it was almost impossible to go over, but it was really hard to run and be smooth. And uh, Jesse just started getting to where, like, he would be real sideways up against it, one and two, and he wouldn't leave down the straightaway quite as well. And I got to where I could, uh, you know, I could run like both my right sides up against it and just kind of turn left all the way around there. And then the bottom of three and four was obviously the place to be, but it was it was throwing like a bunch of dirt and crumbs up to the top of three and four. And uh, really, just on them restarts, I got stuck on the outside of Timmy, so I would try to the top of three and four and. Uh, I was literally like single-handedly trying to clean it off and the last five laps there. So I got it clean and it felt really, really good around the top of three and four. So I, uh, I just made sure to never show Stovall my nose on the outside. I always kept ducks underneath them. And then the last lap there, he like, I almost think he panicked. I, I kidded with him about it that night. And the next day I was like, man, dude, like, why did you go to the bottom? And he was like, I don't know. I really, I, I don't know. You know, he was kind of tore up about it, but I, uh, I got a really good run off of two, uh, like the last three laps. And I knew if I was just close enough to him on the white flag lap that I was either going to try to, you know, slide him getting into three somehow, or if he did end up going to the bottom and parking, I was just going to run the top really hard. And I'm telling you, I think I hit it my best lap on the last lap because I passed him and Godsey, uh, who we were lapping there all in the same corner. So it was, uh, it was badass. And then the next night I had to pack my heat and, uh, 
Timmy won my heat. What are you know? What are the odds? We start side by side the heat. So I had to go to the back, run fourth my heat. Started like 14th, and uh, I got up to third, and I really felt like I was just kind of getting going there with about 16, 15 to go or whatever when I broke, and I had pulled up next to Timmy literally in my drive shaft or the J bar bent and broke the drive shaft there, but it was just a, it was really a cool deal. Like uh, Timmy bought that car. And that's all just spare parts and stuff he had laying around the shop. And I'm telling you, he said he paid for the car this weekend. You know, he paid, that car paid for itself in one weekend. So, yeah, he, uh, you know, he just, he kind of taught me a lot about how to race by yourself. And he works on the car by himself, loads up by himself. He'll go to the racetrack, just him and his wife, Shannon, a lot. And uh, he taught me a lot that he, you know, he didn't really realize he teach me at the time just how to really get shit done. But I, uh, you know, I'm just really thankful that he's, uh, you know, he, he comes and helps me any chance he gets and really just free labor. And, you know, it benefits him because he can learn kind of what I've got going on. And in the same sense, it brings me back down to earth because I know that what I do, you know, to make my car fast, uh, it works, obviously, because he can win in it, too. So he uh, he would really be my only person I feel like I have a true, you know, I share what I'm doing with him and he tells me exactly what he's feeling and it makes me a better person and a better racer and I make him a better racer and a better person. So we just, uh, for some reason we fit together, we fit, uh, fit together really good. Yeah. That does bring a good point. What you said, he ran the summer nationals, you know, in 14, 15, 16, around that time. And he had maybe one career guy. Otherwise it was him and his wife and you would come around and that's where we kind of met. And this is where our budding relationship. So we got to give kudos and credit to Colp. Oh yeah, absolutely. Colp, summer nationals, me, you, Johnny Haler, Jim Moon, just that's when it all started. Bell Claire, 2014. Pizza tour, right? Pizza tour. I don't know why they call it the rainout tour. They should call it pizza tour. Me and Jimmy <laughs> pizza every day. Lou Malinetti's, Monocles, they were doing it all. But watching the highlights of Boot Hill, that seems like they picked up that track out of Illinois and just put it in Texas. Honestly, uh, really, shout out to Boot Hill Speedway. And uh, I met the owner, his name's Tim. He, uh, he does an excellent job working the racetrack. It's a little wet early, and, you know, the, they had to send the, the sport classes at wheel pack. But just like East Bay and anywhere like that, man, I have no problem wheel packing. Or if we do start, you know, 30, 45 minutes late, you know, and we had to wait till the sun goes down to start racing, I'm totally okay with that if the feature races as well, you know. And that place raced awesome both nights. Uh, it had a huge cushion at the top of one and two, but the bottom obviously kept up. That's how Colt won. And then the bottom of three and four was good, but the top was good for a little while, and it was come and go, and real quick across the center, and very smooth for the most part. It really was like the you know the whole racetrack was very well kept, and they had a great turnout Saturday. So I was uh, I was highly impressed highly impressed with Boot Hill's track prep, uh, especially being you know as cold as it is early March. Uh, they did a great job, and uh, I hope a lot of the tracks down in you know down in the south take note. Really, in times past. I would say Arquitex has always had the title, you know, best racetrack, race place, and they don't race weight models that much. But Boot Hill, uh, for whatever reason, they've definitely got it figured out right now, and that is a uh, that's a track to be at if you're in Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, Mississippi right now. Maybe one day they can get a national touring racer because I'm looking at this video right now, and the crowd looked pretty massive on Saturday. Saturday was uh, standing room only. Yeah, ran. It was funny. Another quick side note there: Randall's brother Doyle, he sponsors us at best and everything. Uh, that's where Randall's from, his hometown. It's, you know, two hours from there, Alexandria, really. But Doyle came, and we won Friday. And Doyle, Doyle, you know, he got his picture made, and he was crewing and helping me a little bit. 
And uh, I called Randall first thing Saturday. I said, hey, man, you know, Doyle's won, one, Doyle's won more races this year than you have, so you might want to pick it up a little bit. And I think you got a fire lit under him. But fun fact, Doyle used to work for DVS and Big Billy and all them guys back in the day. So I guess uh, I had an old, you know, an old veteran crew for me. Maybe that's what made, it, made me get the win. Moving on, the Woo shows this weekend. Josh Richards and Mike Marler were victorious. But we will get with those guys in a minute with our segment coming up. But I'm going to have to say here, does Braden Shepard stink? He hasn't won in five straight outlaw races i don't know is he losing his touch a little bit i mean granted they're still getting top fives i have to figure out what he's able to do and you know the blue truck here restart just, that uh, turbo know, just go three two one i got the question in but then you cut out the beginning okay three two one that's what's crazy about chef and the whole rocket team like everyone gets all spun out when they're not winning and it's not like they've run bad at all he is like still yet to finish out the top five in an outlaw race maybe or top 10 for sure and People, you know, people get like, oh, man, Josh and Marler, they're, they're the fastest car. Sheffy, he thumbs up, thumbs up. But, I mean, I, it's nothing to worry about. If I had that problem in racing, I would, uh, y'all probably would never hear from me because I'd be, I mean, I guess I'd be counting all the extra money that I was making, you know. That's good. I mean, <laughs> Sheff and them, they, they run top five every single night, and that's why they win the championships and do the things they do. And, you know, uh, when they run second, third, fourth, you're like, damn, what's going on, you know, and there's all these whispers and rumors and just, you know, things get out of hand, but Chef hasn't lost it at all. Uh, really, those are two tough tracks and not tracks that, you know, he grew up on racing. So for him to come out of there and run fourth both nights, I think that's what he finished, fourth and third or fourth and fourth. I, uh, you know, I'm not worried about it. I think Chef's, uh, Chef's definitely still in the catbird seat for the best driver and best team going right now. I'm definitely not hitting the panic button like Americans are with the coronavirus currently. But, yeah, it's just last year he was so dominant. I mean, he won 17 or 18 races. So if he wins like 14 or 15, people are going to say, oh, it's considered a down year. But don't worry, folks. Brandon Shepard will get high here here coming up. And, you know, I think in less than a month they're here at Farmer City, which he's pretty good at. I'd take Brandon to win Farmer City. Him or my dark horse sleeper to win Farmer City, A-Dog Allen Wise. I don't know. I just got a feeling that he's going to win like a Friday or Saturday race. Yeah, he last year during the I think it was the '74 race, he out, almost outdueled Kent Robinson in a close one. But that was a good race there too. He ran second. I'm telling you, a dog, a dog stuff's good. He just uh, it's just not tough, and I think he could he get it done in Palm City. But I will say, Brandon will win one of the two, if not both. Yeah, I agree with you. Brandon Shepard will be back. Don't worry. I guess he's never really left. But you got to look at this. Two races in the South, you know, one in Tennessee and you guys there in that Texas, Arkansas area. 35 cars at Boot Hill and 34 cars at the World of Outlaws show races. That's pretty good car count. That's nearly 70 cars in two races where you can make money at. Yeah, the car counts were up. There was, I think there was like 38 the first night where we were at. But it's, uh, I'm telling you, man, you got, we had a, like a, a, a different pool. You had some guys from Missouri, guys from Arkansas. You know, you had a little Billy, Soval, and then over there at the Outlaw races, you know, that was about the, the group of cars you would expect to see there. And they're all good cars, man. Like, Brandon Overton, that's another guy, you know, I saw earlier this week where they were saying, does anyone run second more than Ricky Weiss? And I think Brandon Overton's, like, in the same boat. I I know he won at Trevin and all that, but he's run second. He ran second three times down at East Bay in Brunswick, and then he ran second, you know, at Duck River. That's, like, five seconds already in ten races or whatever. So that's another guy that's uh, – it's hard to get a lot of recognition when you run second. People will just overlook you, but that's you're doing something right when you run second. The only other person that's ever run second that much his whole life is 
Unzicker that one year, he ran second like 18 times or something crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that is true about that. He ran second a shit ton that year. We'll continue moving on, and it's one of our favorite segments. It's Berkey of the Week. So, Tyler, I'll let you go first. Who is your Berkey of the Week? My Berkey of the Week is Mike Marler. Ooh. Uh, New car, stock, new motor, just still wins races. I I honestly think if there was some sort of petition, Andy Savory, that could figure out how many people have won races like national races or, you know, 10,000 wins and different sassy brands, the guy leading it would have to be Mike Marler. You know, put all the variables in there. Put a guy that's won with Chevys, Fords, Olins, Integras, whatever, you know, like Mark and Mark and uh, Scott, you know, they've won on Penske. Scott wins on Penske's and, uh, you know, base racing fuel. Marler's won on Pump Gas, 93, Methanol, Rayburn, Longhorns, Warriors, driving for this guy, driving for that guy capital and tech, i mean you just name it when he it's like when he decides he's going to get something different he gets something different he just comes out swinging for whatever reason and uh um i mean really if you read his article and i i talked to him quite a bit mikey's a good friend of mine like he just uh, i think it like relights his fire you know people get complacent uh they get to where they're just like they feel like they're not you know taking the next step in life or whatever they're doing and when mikey does something different i think he just has a chip on his shoulder and he uh he figures out how to get it done. Whether it's better or not, I think a lot of it just comes down to his mindset and, uh, you know, him putting his abilities to full potential whenever he gets something new and he's trying to prove a point. This is a question I want to ask you. As, like, a racer or competitor, do you think it's okay and you're okay with, you know, a driver that switches chassis all the time and go on new rides and stuff like that? Or or does it really bother you that, you know, different drivers do that? You know, Brandon Overton, for example, has switched a couple of car owners here the last few years. You okay with that? Because there's a lot of talk of people that do that aren't loyal with car owners and chassis builders they go with. I mean, there's kind of a I – see, I see it in two ways. The first way is uh, you want to be loyal to everybody that helps you and, you know, gets you to the next step, that, you know, helps you take that next step. And so whether it be a car owner, a chassis guy, a shot guy, a guy that, uh, you know, a guy that gives you brake parts or a guy that buys you drum of fuel or gives you some cash money, you know, you want to stay loyal to those guys and never burn any of those bridges. However, at the same time, as far as, you know, the chassis manufacturers and the shocks and the motor guys, um, I the way I see it is no matter what, they're not going to tell you no when you do switch. Say you, you know, you're, you go from a rocket to a longhorn, okay? You might have burn that bridge for a little while but if you showed back up with a check for 50 grand to buy a car race ready here you go here's you, one money <laughs> i mean there's no way and, it, and it's not just rock it's any chassis brand manufacturer i i know very few people that i've heard you know that i think is actually cut off from a certain manufacturer or component due to the fact that they switch most of the time it's something personal or something you know what i mean there was a, there was another issue it's not that mike Mahler can never buy another car again it's just that if he shows up with money to buy it, they're going to take his money. They might be upset for a while and, you know, kind of wishy-washy about him or maybe not want to give him the whole shebang. But at the end of the day, if a guy shows up cash in hand to buy a product or, you know, wants you to be a part of his team, 99% of the time, they're going to, you know what I mean? They're going to embrace it and just pick right. back up like they never off. And it's not a bad thing, but me personally, like I just try to, I try not to do that. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to ride the Rocket Integra wave until it's, you know what I mean, until it's crashed, burned, and gone out. And, like, guys like Sheppy, obviously, you can tell how much that's paid off for him. Or, you know, and Ricky and 
all the guys that hang out with Scott, they're riding that wave and they're all in with the pin. You know what I mean? It's a little quick and they're not going to burn that bridge. You know what I mean? From the outside looking in, because that's, that's what's going to propel them to the, their full potential at this very moment and in the very near future. Yeah. And as a reporter and a fan that goes to the races, I could care less what they do as long as, you know, they keep racing, they keep winning and putting a good show on for the fans. But that's how racing is. That's how the racing world is. They get fired up for no reason. Yeah, it's just, it's, man, it's the way racers are and the people in racing. They get so spun out. And, uh, you know, if that's all you concentrate on, that's all you think about, you know, if you make black rubber tires and that's all you're worried about and that's all you're in and everything that you do in your life is, you know, revolves around that, that's all you think about and you obsess over it, it makes it a big deal. But if you take a step back, if you take a step back, Mike Marler quit racing today, in two years, nobody would give a shit. You know what I'm saying? It's not any, nothing against him. It's just the truth. Like, it's only as big a deal as you make it in your head. Like I, I can go six months and not look on dirt on dirt during the winter. If I just, I don't care, you know what I mean? Like, or if I'm not racing, if it's not a big deal to me, but this week I've been on it like nonstop because I just want to read something about boot Hill or me or Timmy or people that, you know what I'm saying? Mikey, like when it's something that I, I obsess over, or I care about, then yeah, I'm all in. I make the big deal, but if you take a step back, it's really not a big deal. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that one. And my Berkey of the week and listen to this one. Tyler Herb, Josh Richards back on the Woo Tour. That's my Berkey of the week. Yeah, he picked up his 77th career Woo win, which is the most of all time. But this is his first World of Outlaws victory since October 28th of 2016. That is absurd. That's why he's my Berkey of the week. The firstborn son of the World of Outlaws has finally got a World of Outlaw win in nearly three and a half years. That's crazy. 1,244 days or something like that. I saw it on Twitter. Uh, people, Andrea put out there that uh, he said, please do not reference this as Josh's first win in almost two, since 2016 as he has not followed the World Outlaws tour since then. And, and I mean, it's true. Like, people were making it, same thing. People were making it a big deal. It's like, you, Josh won a Lucas Oil Championship. He's won two dirt tracks. Like, Josh didn't fall out of the seat. He just hasn't raced that much outlaw race. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be curious it to see how many actual races he's entered in the World of Outlaws. But from that 2016 season when he dominated to, like, not winning one in three and a half years, how fast time has gone by. Like, it's been that long. Yeah, it's crazy how quick, you know, Josh was the staple. And then, like, he won again. It's like, oh, shit, it's been that long, you know, because we were just so used to him winning every single race with Outlaws for the longest time. And then Sheppy stepped in and, like, never skipped a beat. So I guess maybe it's because we see the car winning all the time. You know, you still, when you see the blue one car, you still think of Josh just as much as you think of Chevy. Oh, for I sure. Think. No doubt. I do too. You know, it's just, it's his, like that's him. You know, you think about it, you're like, man, I've watched that car for 10 years and that was always Josh and watching Sheppy do it. It's like, man, it's just the car, but it's really not, you know, they both, they both put in work, I guess, in the blue one car. I don't know. It was nuts when I saw that stat on uh Racewire the next day. I'm like, damn, it's been that long already. I'm just getting old there, Turbo. But our guest this week, maybe he could one day eventually win his first World of Outlaw race here in the near future. He's an internet sensation. He's kind of took the social media by storm here a little bit. Oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm honestly a huge fan. One of my favorite segments is, uh, uh, you know, what division is it? And I, I'm a true believer of uh, if it's not, you know, within your means, stay out of that division. So, Hot Carl is going to be our guest. And he's the man, and you will have him next on the Integra Shops and Springs Hotline. 
Joining us now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline is the internet sensation, unretired race car driver, and a huge catalyst of the Wedge Nose Late Model. It's none other than Hot Carl. Carl, how's it going, buddy, today on this fine Tuesday afternoon? Not too shabby. Just putting the finishing touches on my three link here, and we're uh, we're waiting to go racing here in, in April. So. Uh, just dialing her in in the shop. Yeah, you've kind of came on the scene here the last you know six or seven months. I really haven't heard about you in the racing career. Cause, so can you give us a little short history of how you got involved in racing? Yeah, I mean, let's face it. I'm a, I'm a below average at best uh, wheelman. I considered myself to be more of a chassis guy. Um, I'm like any other sportsman racer. As I've walked away from racing more than once. Um, I walked away last time in 2012 ran out of money, uh, realized that I had no business wheeling a race car, but, um, I just like any other, uh, retired sportsman driver, you, you walk, a, walk past a set of shocks still hanging on the wall and you think, you know, all I really need is a roller, an engine, uh, a trailer, a hauler and about 30 grand. And I can get back into this deal. And that's, that's what happened this winter. So um, I got myself a 2001 super stock. Uh, I needed a rear clip and a front clip and, um, fresh powder coat. So I, I clipped it on my garage floor and we're going racing again in April. Hell yeah. Where's so where's your first race and what is your home track? Even though I know you're from Texarkana, so will you be racing at 67 or somewhere up North? I mean, give us, give us a little insight on your home track and first race. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't have a home track. I'm looking at doing some traveling this year. Uh, we'll probably be doing some three-link stuff up north. It seems to be more common. Um, I'm looking in uh, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, maybe Minnesota. Might even run some specials in September up in the Dakotas. But uh, I got my eye on an 84 Chevy Cube van with some bunk beds in it. We're going to hit the road on a limited budget uh, doing some three-link stuff this summer. Uh, one, one of my good buddies, Logan Robertson, he's got a little hauler. Uh, it's not a cute van, it's a little bit bigger, but like one of his favorite sayings is, uh, like I always ask him, like, man, how many people come with you? He's like, five, three or four. I said, well, how many is it sleep? He said, well, it's six and it fucks 12. What do you look for in a hauler, you know, to, to go to super stock? Yeah, we, 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 we straight up, uh, stick with the LED lighting and bunk beds and, uh, we don't have bathrooms and stuff. We just have, um, Purell hand sanitizer, and if you got to take a dump, well, you go outside and do that, and uh, you can clean your butthole with your hand sanitizer. So basically, he's spot on. You want um, as many beds as possible and some LED lighting. Uh, that that way, um, you, you can lure in the the lizards, if you will. I got to ask, Hot Carl Chassis is how you say it, is in Texarkana, but you have a northern accent. So how did you? A guy from the north of Minnesota, Wisconsin area, if I had to guess, get all the way to Texarkana. Like, just give me a little backstory on that. Well, it, it, um, if you're familiar with the movie Smokey and the Bandit, um, you know, in, in that movie, they, they go to Texarkana, Texas, uh, to pick up Coors Beer because Big and Lendl, Enos Burdett, um, put the boys up to a bet. And, and I just fell in love with that storyline that they had to go to Texarkana to pick up beer, uh, Coors Beer, and truck it east of Texas. And I'm a I'm a big trucking fan. I'm, uh, my dad grew up driving trucks, and I grew up riding with him. So I said, you know, someday when I start building these race cars, I'm going to move down to Texarkana, Texas, and I'm going to claim that as, as home. But that's, that's 
that's why you'll be seeing me run this northern stuff. Um, I'm originally from up this way, and but I'll be traveling this summer uh, in my cube van. So since you said you're not really, you know, a huge late model fan per se, you know, you're a you're a fan of the division. Give me of of your four divisions that were should be, you know, that, or that there should be. What is your favorite division to watch? Is it B mods or A mods or crate racing? The, you know the stock car, crate race car. What is it? What is your favorite class to watch as a as a you know a racer and fan? Well, I, I don't I don't have a favorite class, but I, I will tell you this, and I might dovetail off into something different. Is um, we have too many fucking classes right now. If you ask me, um, B mods are running within a couple of tenths of A mods, and local late model is dying and so what i would say is i make those b mods run with a mods and then the good a mod guys with the late model budget and the late model engines are going to go i don't want to race with all these shitheads and i'm going to go out and buy my real late model and then we get some local late model racing going again so um to be honest i'd love to see some more local late model stuff come back but until we get rid of some of these B classes, and I don't know if it's the generation or what's going on, but it seems that every every time someone can't win a feature, they're out there promoting, a, we need a B class, we need a crate class. I mean, for fuck's sakes, I saw on uh, ad at a local racetrack, they had a 602 class, a 604 class, and then a regional late model class, three classes of late models, and you know they don't have a heat race and a half for each class, so it's getting it's getting out of hand, but to answer your question, I think it would be a regional late model if we could get it back and still have the outlaw boys come to town. Fair enough. So a big late model fan in a nutshell. Regional. <laughs> can I drink on the show? Yes, <laughs> you can drink on the show. And speaking of that, Bush Light. I don't know about you, but Illinois is a huge Bush Light state, so I love it when I see your videos and you're chugging a Bush Light and mixing a Captain and uh, you know your pop of choice. But Bush Light, you can have you can have three or four. This is a Bush Light sponsored show, actually. Hot Carl. Well, uh, uh, the funny story is we were running a B feature, and the uh, B feature paid one can of Bush Light per lap lead, and uh, I started on the pin in the B main. And it was rubbered up down around the tire, and I led all 20 laps, and I left with 20 cans of Bush Light, and the first eight or nine tasted like shit, and then I kind of got used to it, and uh, it just grew on me, so I've been drinking Bush Light ever since that B-Main win. Hell yeah, that's awesome. So what, uh, one more thing about just kind of your racing and what you got going on, who is, uh, who's one of your favorite guys to B-Main race with? You know, who, who's a guy that you know you're going to line up to in every B-Main? You know, whether it's the Dakota Mod Tour or just a you know a regular Saturday or up in the north, who who do you look forward to? You know, to start next to racing with or just being in a B main in general. Well, um, uh, they're not generally in the B main, so these are the guys that usually kick my ass in the heat races. Uh, you take a Shane Sabraski or a or a Tim Johnson. No, those are two real wheelmen that can. Uh, take absolute horse shit cars and go to the front with. So um, I've watched those spoilers go by me more than once. And I like, I guess my favorite would have to be the Sasquatch. They call him Tim Johnson. He's uh, a household name. Everybody's heard of Tim Johnson. Oh yeah. He, uh, 
Yeah, so he, he's a hoot because uh, during a caution, he'll pull up to you and give you a tire rub, and he don't give a shit if he knocks the toe out of the car. He's going to the front, and he knows it. And um, so he's just there to have a good time, and he has a good time and still wins races, and um, he can drink shitloads of beer too. So that's probably my favorite guy to rub doors with. And he he, he, he does race supers. He's probably got five 600 uh, wins in a, in a super, so... Um, if I can race with him and have him put a donut mark in my door when he goes by, I'd be happy. Yeah. And you have a famous chassis business. Are you still building cars today and how many and what type of cars are you building? And I know in some of your videos, you don't need a jig. Yeah. So I I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it building cars. I'd call it resurrecting cars because (laughs) there's, there's a, there's a lot of real nice old late models out there that get put out to rest and they're perfectly fine. Um, this car I'm working on here, or I built over the winter, is actually a 2001 Faggers. And the rule state for us, we got to run a OEM front clip. We can remove the uh, frame rails behind the lower control arm. So basically, I take old late models and put Camaro front clips on them. And um, I just ignore the upper four-bar link mounts because we run three links. And um, so this this season, I built one. It's mine going to be the house car we're going to call it the hot carl fifth design and um who knows maybe next year we'll we'll reclip two or three late models for boys if i get this thing rolling who uh who's your biggest sponsor this year i know i i for the people that you know they kind of don't keep up with the videos and stuff and aren't too familiar like who's your biggest sponsor and you know what does it take to be a big sponsor on just any team not even you know a bmon like what is it what you know what does a guy need to go race well, for me this year, honestly, uh, it's me, myself, and I. It's uh, the hot Carl swag that I've been pumping. So I'd have to say Joe Provo at uh, Joe Provo Racewear and Buzzy Adams um, with, with Buzz Sign and Graphic and Adams Automotive. Um, Adams is, is helping me out with my race engine. I honestly couldn't afford one up front, and he uh, was willing to foot some of the bill, and then I caught up on on some money here uh with selling t-shirts and hats so i called him the other day i said i'm i'm free and clear i don't want to owe anybody anything but i would say um the swag has helped joe provo's helped buzzy's helped um adams has helped and if you want to um give those guys credit i think that's where that would go the question is is bush light have they offered any form of sponsorship because in your videos you're getting nearly 300 half a million views you think they would come on board well, I was waiting for an invite to go down to Missouri and maybe unveil the graphics package on the new uh, Hot Carl chassis, but they haven't called yet, so I'm I'm still waiting. Uh, if they if they wanted to get on the program, uh, they'd be more than welcome to. And I've seen your car on Facebook; it looks beautiful. But I gotta ask, where did you come up with the number Win One B Main? Well, my local um, the lo- the the. Uh, let me back up not so local canadian uh tom nesbitt uh late model late model hall of famer um back in the 80s he used to run the win one logo and i asked him about that he said well i always wanted to win one more feature and um even if you win one the next night you'd want to win another one so he ran that for a few years and when i was getting my car lettered by buzzy um you know buzzy knows that i suck as a wheelman and that um, I win B features. He said, well, we can do that, but it's going to be win one B main. So I'm coming out of retirement to win one more B feature. Um, 
and that's where that originated. So I got to thank Buzzy really for that. I've never met a guy that's so pumped to Windy Mains and things like that. But just another, you know, kind of off the wall question here. I, I mean, I'm from Texas as well, so I mean, it's it's crazy that we don't ever, you know, kind of intersect in our racing and stuff like that. But you know, I used to race street stocks back in the day, and to be honest with you, that was like probably the most fun I ever had racing. It was just you know, me, my mom, a couple of my buddies from high school and when I was younger and things like that. And I, uh, I mean, I really, what's the difference in a super stock? I mean, I, obviously it's part late model and things like that, but is, would you consider the street stock like a class we need to get rid of or should like a super stock just really go to a fucking crate late model? I mean, where do we go from here? Because like me and you kind of race the same cars, but you know, in a nutshell, it's two different classes, which is, and it changed five times over the Palmer then it ended up being a street stock. And like, I remember I would go to five or six different racetracks and run whatever class. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's, here's my opinion is, is, uh, back when we grew up, uh, you know, we didn't race go-karts when we were five and we didn't have dads throwing 12 grand at winged outlaw carts. Basically when kids come out of their, when kids come out of their teens today or 15, 16, in my opinion, they're ready for a modified. They could go wheel the shit out of a modified better than most of us. We don't need a B mod, and we don't need a pure stock, and then a street stock, and then a this stock, and then a that stock. We got enough classes, so uh, I hate to beat a dead horse, but um, I think a street stock is a great class. It's the entry-level class. It's the beer drinking, and some of the funnest damn racing you'll ever see is in a streeter. And then you have your modified and your late models. You need something to bridge the gap there. So the, the super, to me, is the limited late model. We got a good engine package. It's not a fucking crate engine. I don't like crate engines. I don't like anything about them. But it's a good bridge the gap from a streeter to a modified. We got screw jacks now. We got bar angles to play with. We got a real deal transmission gear that we can play with so four classes streeters those those are one of my favorite you got a super and then you got your modifieds and your late models and when i watch your videos hot carl you always show the wedge late model why are you a huge fan of the wedge nose late model and you hate the plastic nose they come in now like the ones at turbo racing and instead in one of your videos you actually developed the four bar system so i just we got to clear up a few things here yeah um First, the, the plastic nose uh, late models, um, I just got to be honest with you. If you've ever stood next to an original wedge nose late model, um, it'll give you the goosebumps. It'll make the hair on your arms stand up. The gooseys, and, right? You call it the um, gooseys? The gooseys, yeah, that's correct. And so it, it was just a sad day in late model racing when they came out with that shit and made us put headlight decals on it to look like a Ford Taurus, which has got to be one of the ugliest cars on green earth. And so I never quite understood that because the big three have never really done anything for late model. In my opinion, uh, they've always had their nose up the NASCAR deal. And, um, so I don't know why we owe them anything. I'd rather see a rule that says, um, look, you can take a four by eight sheet of aluminum and run that as your nose and turn the last 10 inches up of each side and have a little, uh, splitter on each side. And by the way, I'd change these deck lids, these big fishbowl deck lids. I'd make them run a straight edge from door to door and quarter to quarter. 
and um, make those flat like we used to do uh, back in the day and um, make those late models look like they did 30 years ago. Turbo, thoughts? Um, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't around 30 years ago, so I couldn't tell you if the arrow or anything was better or worse, but I know like uh, a lot of people would probably say, oh, if we had a wedge nose, we really could have passed because, you know, the air is so bad and dirty air because we're going so fast because the back of the car is hiked up. So with a wedge body, maybe it's high. You know, our cars didn't get up in the air 20 years ago like they do now. Like the back of the car picks up so high now. With a wedge nose, it would almost be like a like a Hot Wheels like scoop. Like you could just run behind somebody and like scoop them. And like maybe the racing would be different. I don't know. But I, uh, I honestly, I'm a fan of the plastic nose because it takes me about 53 minutes to build. Where if I had to build it all out of aluminum, it might take me a little bit longer. But I, once again, I'm not a, I'm not the best fabricator. I know. So I don't know. Uh, I guess to each his own. I don't know. I've never stood next to a true wedge late model or got to see one race. So maybe if I did, I would be, you know, my duck would be class for one like like years is Carl. Well, then <laughs> I'm going to say this. That's just what you see in all other sports, you know, basketball, baseball. You have this different generations of where I grew up in, Carl grew up in, and you grew up in, Turbo, that it's just a different generation. You're not used to seeing the same things, and that's just how re- – all sports is and that's just how the history of time is so i think both you guys are right in a way that the wedge nose car was great because carl was used to that growing up and you think this is great because this is what you're used to driving so i think we both can agree on that what do you think carl yeah we're just going to agree to disagree is i think what you're trying to say <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um well i'm actually i've got a as Smokey and the Bandit movie would say i've got a, a four-wheeler right here following me so i'm trying not to be too too obvious with it I, I actually am on a run. I'm not hauling Stewart's beer. I had to run to Rocket Chassis today and pick some stuff up. So, part of the hard, hot car test, you know, do you, like, manufacture bumpers and stuff? Like, do you plan on – I just know, like, at the beginning of the year, I kind of make a list of, uh, you know, things that I need, and I know I'm going to need 32 breakaway spoilers, six T-bars, seven front bumpers if everything goes as planned. So, you know, for your – your year 2020 what all have you built spare because i mean obviously all your stuff's custom it's not like you can head to rocket or call longhorn or somebody and buy stuff so uh you know kind of what what's some of the stuff you found up for spares or you just roll with what you got and tear it up you've got a 20 pack of bush and see you next week exactly we 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 run a what i like to call limited budget here at hot carl racing so um i got a racket uh dom tubing and a tube notcher and a tube bender and a mig welder and a tig welder and um a lot of free time on my hands so if i do happen to tear something up um we're just going to figure we're going to drink some beer and build bumpers you know on a friday night to go racing saturday night um like i said we call it a limited budget racing so since you're a limited budget you know what would you call the the you know the, the amon guys that go out and race the Dakota Mod Tour with the SNS, two cars, five straight motors, you know, for a thousand to win every night. Um, you know, what kind of budget would you call that? Unrealistic, crazy, or, I mean, are you just, ah, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, honestly, I would call that a regional late model budget. Um, those guys that are buying $40,000 modified rollers that came from Mooresville, North Carolina on the pull-down rig, um, those car, those guys, should be in a late model and that's why i keep preaching to get rid of this hunk of shit b mod class and force the mod guys with the big money force them into a late model because 
I actually do agree late models should be expensive and they are because there are top tier class and they should be expensive. So shitheads like me can't drive them. And that's why I'm against crate engines in late models. So yeah, there's too much money in the modifieds. There's plenty of money to go late model racing for some of those guys. Carl, I'm looking at your Facebook page in November 13th, 2017, you posted your first ever video hot Carl on race engine is what it's you know titled as as 1.2 million views. Did you ever in your life fathom that this Facebook page, YouTube page would just explode this much? Cause we were talking yesterday and I feel like you are what outside dirt track fans think how we act and also what drivers in our sport wish they did act. And, you know, still have that fun mentality, especially in the late model world. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Um, Engines are another easy pickings to make fun of in dirt racing. Um, if if the crate models taught me anything is that we don't need 650 horse engines to go fast on an eight inch tire on the dry slick. Um, Hot Carl's theory is you could build probably some of your own stuff or work with a local guy and build a 500 horse engine and still win features on a dry slick with a with a with a hockey puck hard tire. So. Um, that in, that that video was uh, just me uh, talking honest truth, and honestly, um, a lot of other race car drivers kind of feel the same way. It's just nobody's got the balls to pull the trigger and say, "I'm not going to go buy a thirty thousand dollar engine. I'm going to build a twelve thousand dollar engine and still go win races." But at the end of the day, though, isn't it survival of the fittest, and that's how the world is, and you can't really knock a person that has people backing him and buying expensive motors. That's, I guess, what I'm looking at, it too, on the other side of the fence. Yeah, and I I agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, if you're an idiot wheel man like me and you don't really know how to wheel a car, and it is, uh, let's say it's a heavy track and it's on the cushion, yeah, I will take that free horsepower and that free money. Um, but I also watched Shane Sebraski put a – put an absolute hurting on a field of, of open B-Mod engines with a 602 crate um, in the dry slick and absolutely drive away from them. So, and when I talked to Shane after the race, I said, Shane, you could have did that with, uh, imagine how bad it would have been with a with an open B-Mod motor. And he said, exactly. That's what you don't need these uh, monster engines at some of these places. And so, um, I just would like to see local engine builders get back into the deal more, especially with this crate deal. Did you ever think these videos would get this hot and this many shares? Because your last one about the coronavirus, I'm glad you found a cure. You know, did you ever think that this thing would get this big? And I think it's pretty cool because you're kind of playing both ends as a racer and what a fan thinks. Yeah, I... I just think um, there needs to be some fun put back in dirt racing, and that's why I'm going to build uh, build my own car like we used to do back in the day, and I'm going to make it fun. And I'm going to drink lots of beer at the racetrack with my fans. And, yeah, I didn't ever think that this would get this popular. I originally just thought it would be just me and my buddies having fun. But, yeah, we're just going to drink beer and I just pray to God that there's another uh, race where there's actually enough cars for a B main and that I could win it because I think they'll tear down the grandstands if I actually did win a B feature this year. So that's really all I'm hoping for. That's what I was going to say after 
your inaugural season, I know you could have more fun with me and Slav on the Hell Tour if you bought an A mod and raced with us every night. I think that would be, I think that would be even more fun, honestly. Yeah, I I have an A mod engine sitting over at Adams. Actually, it's it's been freshened and it's ready to go. And who knows if this if 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 this super thing goes good this year and I keep selling some swag. Um, there's no doubt in my mind. I'd like to, I'd like to get it back into an A mod. And, um, but first, I got to get my driving shoes back underneath me and learn how to work the pedals again. I've, I've been out of a car since 2012, so we'll see. Well, Turbo, I guess there's only one thing: is he has a successful 2020 season. 2021, me, Tyler Herb running the late models on the Summer Nationals. Hot Carl running an A mod during the Summit Modified Nationals. We're going 30 races in 33 days. Sounds like heck of a plan to me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm in. Hot yeah. Carl, this is what we do. So to make Tyler Herb a better driver, no matter who the guest is, you have to give an assessment on Tyler Herb's racing ability or maybe just give him a tip that you learned over the years that you know this 22, 23-year-old driver can take on the road. And, you know, it can be any tip. It can be a lifestyle. It can be racing. But what life tip do you have and assessment do you have for Tyler Herb to make him a better driver? Yeah, I'm sure the only time Hot Carl's ever seen me race is on, you know, Facebook or YouTube when I flip Dunzicker. I'd say just as much internet pull as he's got. Or have you actually seen me race in person? First off, should be, you know, the first and foremost question. Yeah, so I haven't seen you race in person, but I, I have a I have an answer. So if you guys want to just fire it, I, I I think I know how to answer this. Well, go ahead. You can answer, okay. bud. So um, Hot Carl's advice to Tyler Herb is um, I would say this is nobody stands up and cheers for anybody when they're running the tires, and I don't care if it's fast down around the tire and it's taking rubber, and that's where the track is. Is people get up and cheer and clap and scream when you're taking your spoiler off on the wall and you're riding the cushion. So um, I would say if you're middle of the pack and instead of laying down and being a bottom feeder, I'd say just get it up on the cushion and try to tear the right quarter panel off or do something cool like that because chicks love it and dudes think it's uh, cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's actually... That's kind of like what I'm in for at Fairbury. I've never even finished a race there, but I always manage to, you know, get a standing O leaving, leaving turn three. So if you all Fairbury this year, you'll get to you'll get to see, you know, kind of kind of what you're telling me to do there. I guess panties drop when you're on the cushion, right there, hot Carl. Right. I've never seen any girls lift their top for dudes running the cushion or running the bottom. It was an honor to finally get to interview you. You make me laugh. You make Turbo laugh with all your posts. Keep doing what you're doing. Hopefully your hot Carl chassis, you know, becomes a household name. And, you know, three or four years you're competing with Rocket and, you know, the CJ Rayburn back in the day. But it was a very, we just got to, we got to thank you for being on the show and very appreciative. Hey, I, I appreciate it as well. And uh, I can't, I, I'm going to get down and, um, maybe one day I can grind some tires for Tyler. That'd be, that'd be my dream right now. There we go. Turbo. Oh yeah. Anytime. I guess I'll have to come up to, uh, the Wasota 100 or something. I know they've, they've, uh, that's a big, big late model race there. Maybe if I could get a ride in a three link Rayburn up there, you could come be my crew guy for the weekend. Oh, I think I could hook you up. We could, we could just put some wide five hubs on the old hot Carl super stock and let you take it out there and, and, uh, wide five hubs and a big tire i think she might wheel that place pretty well oh yeah we might have to put it in the schedule i guess we'll have to check and see thanks carl
Okay, thanks, guys. All I can say is, wow, Turbo. Hot Carl just gave us a dynamite interview. But I got to ask you, what's your favorite Hot Carl video on YouTube slash uh, the social media world? Um, I, I'm telling you, one of my favorites, like I said earlier, was the, the one about the different divisions, the crate model and how there should be four classes. And, you know, <laughs> if you don't have it, it's those shit boxes like you don't race in that class. But my one of my new favorites, I just saw it this weekend, my buddy from Texarkana, also John Mitchell, he showed me one, and it was a uh, it was Hot Carl, and he got a basically he was saying for people with sleep apnea, you can buy a blower from All Star or whatever brand it was, and he made it custom fit. He pop riveted it to his belt and hooked it up as a sleep apnea machine or some shit like that, and it was blowing air in his face. And I mean. That guy's got a lot of time and a lot of bush light uh, whiskey to uh, you know to come up with things like that. I he's very creative. I would definitely give him that. And what makes it weird is he's from Texarkana. I don't really consider that a bush light capital. No, Texarkana. That's, that's the craziest thing about Hot Carl is I've I've been through Texarkana a million times and I just I can't can't uh, you know ever make it to his shop, but. Maybe he'll invite me over and I can uh, finally come check it out. Yeah, Hot Carl definitely puts the fun back in racing, but we got to keep going. We gotta, we're on a little time constraint here. It's one of my other favorite segments. It's the Ask Jeeves segment, and this week we were searching how did the Florence Y'all Water Tower get its name? And obviously, Turbo, when you go to Florence, Kentucky for the North-South or another Lucas Oil race, they had that world-famous red and white uh, water tower that says Florence Y'all. And I figured since you're racing there this weekend, I thought this would be a good topic. So we're searching... How did the Florence Y'all Water Tower get its name? So you ready for this? Ready to go. All right. The Florence Y'all Water Tower is obviously in Florence, Kentucky, and it's on Interstate 71, Highway 75 and 71. And it all started in the early 1970s when they were making a Florence Mall, and they had that thing saying Florence Mall on it you know, for advertisement. But in 1974, yeah. in July, the Borough of Highways told the officials of the city they couldn't advertise something that didn't exist yet, so they were building them all while it did. So they're discussing this. We're like, oh, my gosh, you just paid all this money for this water tower. What could be the easiest way to do it? Well, the mayor or somebody is, you know, writing on brainstorming, you know, on a piece of paper or a napkin, created the idea of removing the vertical lines on the sides of the M and mall and put y'all, adding the apostrophes, resulting in a Florence y'all. And that's why it's become Florence y'all. And... Every time you go into Florence, Kentucky, somebody says, where are you racing at this weekend? Everybody says, Florence, y'all. And they, Florence, even, y'all. they yeah. even have a minor league baseball team just changing their name to the Florence, y'alls, starting this year. So, big thing there in Florence, Kentucky. Yeah, it's the uh, first time I ever went there. It was, you know, I think it was three or four years ago. And I, I'd always seen Snapchat the water tower. And I was like, man, I wonder if I'll drive by and sure as shit, you drive through there. And it's like, I mean, you cannot miss it if you've ever drove through Florence, Kentucky. And then you get to, you know, you kind of, they're like, oh, Daryl Lanigan's cup for this. So you're headed to the racetrack, and you look to the right, and sure enough, there's Club Daryl. And, um, you know, Florence has got a lot of history, the King family and everything like that. And I never got the pleasure to meet Josh King until my very first time I went there to race. And he, uh, Josh himself parked me on a four-wheeler in the worst parking spot that has ever been about like the, the worst parking spot at any racetrack I've ever been to in my life, and he parked me in this spot. Classic, like, okay. classic. So I'm like, okay. So I start unloading stuff, and I get this thing out. And no sooner as I get my car turned around and every single item I own out of this trailer out on the ground and out, he comes over and he's like, "You got to move this shit," and kind of said it with a little bit of an attitude. And I, 
I mean, I'm not going to deny it. I, I'm a little hothead, too. Like, I'll get upset about something stupid and, like, blow way out of proportion. And I was like, nah, I don't think I'm moving. Like, I, I, I just kind of blew him off. And, like, 30 minutes later, he come back and cussed me like a dog and told me I was moving and this and that. And we got nose-to-nose, and I told him I was there's a Luke Soul race. I said, nah, I think I'm leaving, blah, 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 more F-bombs than anything, really. <laughs> and Rick Schwally had to, like, separate us because, like, I mean, it was about to be bad. We were about to slow down. And this is like four in the afternoon. And we're in the middle of the pitch just getting after it. I'm touching him. He's touching me. And, uh, like, for the next year and a half, uh, like, that whole weekend, I was like, I'm never coming back to this place, blah, blah, blah. And I sucked so bad. I was awful there that weekend. So I come back the next year, just like any other racer. You never come back at this place, blah, blah, show right back up. Sure. Oh, sure. And, uh, oh, was, sure. Yeah. Then that was the rain shortened Ralph Latham or whatever that Hudson won. I run second. I was like, hell, this place ain't too bad. I make a little bit of money. It's all right, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and now it's just a coincidence that it's literally like my home track. Besides Eldora, Florence is the closest track to the best shop. So I go there. Like, I'm going there this weekend, obviously. And it's just it's crazy that that's how my first impression of Florence was. I was so, like, pumped to go there. And I thought it was the coolest shit ever. And then me and Josh King got nose-to-nose about how to fist fight. And I was like, man, F this place. And we've worked it out since then. We've hugged and make up, kind of. I think he still throws jabs at me on Facebook. I mean, I know he does, but in the same sense, I uh, I definitely don't hold any words back against him. But I think we're mutual now. He knows that um, I can be a dickhead, and I know he can be a dickhead. And uh, if we, uh, you know, we both kind of understand that about each other. So as long as we don't cross paths, I think we're going to be fine. And that's kind of the relationship we've had. Because he comes to the Lucas races and works them, and. He'll be nice to be, and you know he'll say, "Hey, what's up?" I'll be cool as can be, but I think deep down we both uh, we both still have like a little vengeance towards each other. A little tension, just, uh, maybe. Yeah, just a little bit of tension in the air. But I mean, I do. I I've gone back. Shoot, I raced there five or six times last year, so I do enjoy the racetrack, and uh, you know it's got a lot of history. And just if, if I can win a race at Florence, I'm burning it down because I from the first time i went there and now i feel like i've gotten a lot better there but it's just a very hard place to, to run good at for whatever reason and it's classic they have a water tower that says florence y'all which is basically i always call it like florence kentucky is the gateway to the south like the southeast it is it is yeah like y'all i, I never understood like y'all because like where i'm from y'all is like a texas thing everyone says y'all 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 and florence like if you look on a map from where i'm from you're like golly that's like almost in canada it looks like and it's a <laughs> It really is. Like, you, you leave from where I live now, and you get to Dayton and Cincinnati, and it's still kind of northern, uppity-up, and then it, you hit Kentucky, and it's just like a different breed. Of new world. It's a new world, for sure. And also, little side note, the minor league annual All-Star game was there in 2016. They called it the Y'all-Star game. So that's another little note on the Florence Y'all water tower. LOL. Fun <laughs> fact. I actually did not know that. I, I'm going to have to look that up when we get off there. Well, Turbo, since you're racing there this weekend, you got that weekend, and then coming up is the Lucas Oil schedule. You're going to Brownstown and Atomic. You ready to go for the get the full swing, of not Florida, and going to different parts of the country, even though you could have took last weekend off, but you still raced. Yeah, man, I love racing. Uh, Florida is my favorite time to race because it's just so back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. But, you know, I do like to – I've been in the shop all week. We go race two or three nights, come home. We're, you know, we're relatively close, and I'm excited to go to Atomic and Brownstown and all them places. and just get back in the swing of things, man. I feel like I've been on vacation for three and a half months and I'm so tired of flying. I've flown so much since like the middle of December, 2019. I just feel like I fly somewhere every week and uh, I'm ready to just 
sit in the truck and, you know, count lines on the highway again. I don't know, but I'm super pumped. And I guess we're looking forward to, you know, getting the Lucas deal kind of spun back off. It was kind of crazy. No one really took way, you know, took way off with the lead there after Florida. So it'll be, uh, it'll be exciting to see what happens here in the next couple months. Quick thing here. I saw on Twitter yesterday. The dirt track at Charlotte had a debate thing, and it kind of got a hot. I don't know if you saw it, but they said, let's debate who's the best dirt racer of all time and why. Does it have to be late model? It says dirt track driver. Anybody. Steve Kenzer, by far. Steve Kenzer was the man, dude. I love Steve Kenzer. My make-a-wish when I was nine years old was to meet Steve Kenzer, and I did. I went to his shop. I watched the race in Bloomington. I went to Eldora, watched him race, and, I mean, he won 20 outlaw championships, so... If we put that into the big picture, you know, he's Donnie Schatz is half of the best race car driver that Kinder was. If you, you know, if you look at it that way, which I'm not saying that Schatz is the man, but uh, I, I'd say Steve Kinder, man. He, he won for such a long period of time and literally won championships for like over like a 35 year span or something crazy. He just, he is the ultimate racer and he made through a lot of the evolution, you know, when. When he first started racing a sprint car, it looked like a go-kart. You know, he got it to where all the way up until, you know, the early 2010s, you know, late 2000s, and was still just kicking ass. So, I, uh, it's hard for a guy to evolve like that. Scott Bloomquist and Big Bill, they've gone through the evolution of a late model, but Kinder, man, he just, he was the man. He raced dude. in the IROC series. He's pretty good. He's really good. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and just, I mean, that guy, however old he is, just smoking cigs, you know, just wheeling sprint car races like it ain't no big deal. And it's, you know, it's, uh, he, he was badass. He was literally like an outlaw. Like when I saw that guy, I was like, holy smokes, like he is badass. And I've seen him, you know, he'll come to Eldora in certain races now and watch Craig or whatever. And I'm like, like, I'm still, like, I don't get starstruck over anybody. Tyler Childers and Steve Kenzer, the two people I fanboy over. And Steve Kenzer is definitely the best dirt track racer. That's what I think. Yeah, Tyler Chillers is a great country singer, too. I saw him actually last Halloween with Peters and Paris and all them in Chicago. He put on a dang good show. Do you think he's burnt? I mean, they say we're burnt, but I think he's triple the amount of burntness than we are. No doubt. And and still the greatest country singer on the planet right now. Yeah, well, Turbo, good luck this weekend at Florence, y'all. We figured out what the water tower is. Hot Carl was awesome. Maybe we can get him on the show more. Maybe have a little segment with him because that guy is hilarious. But uh, good luck this weekend. I hope everybody enjoyed this week's Suave Talk. We are out. Peace.